Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. This morning, guys, it's, uh, it's going to be a fun time because we're going to talk about inheritance, but I want to... I want to talk about inheritance, always keeping our mind, and I'm going to try the best I can to keep my mind focused on uh, the one from whom we draw our inheritance, right? Keeping our mind on our Heavenly Father, who uh, I, I love giving the Father's hands, and I love seeing Father step up and being faithful inside of the body of Christ, but the truth is the glory that we have, that we give in our life, it goes to one Father, and that is our Father in heaven. Amen. It goes to one Father. And, and, and it's great that he's given us great gifts in this church. It's great that he's given us so many good fathers. It's great that you are faithful to your family and faithful to your children. But today, hopefully, our attention will be centered not on men, because that's not really what our attention is supposed to be centered on anyway, and centered on our Heavenly Father who loves us tremendously. Amen? So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, and at the end of the message, uh, I'm going to close out with a, a lot of scripture verses from Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, and Ephesians 4. So I want you to just have yourself there. I'm going to have a bunch of other scriptures up on the screen, but I want you to have yourselves there so that you can follow uh, along with us. Over the past couple of weeks, we started a series entitled Knowing Jesus. Started a series that, that is based on a prayer of the Apostle Paul. Right? The Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians, for the Ephesian people. He prays that they would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Not in the knowledge of Paul, but in the knowledge of God. Here's what it says in the first verse. It says that, that God, our Lord Jesus, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the Father of glory, the Father of glory, think about that, the Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, uh, I explained this to you in a, in a really important way that, that having a spirit of wisdom and revelation is twofold. Number one, what we have to remember is that the Ephesian Christians were born again. The Ephesian Christians had believed in Jesus Christ. The Ephesian Christians, consequently, had been filled with the Holy Spirit because that comes at our belief. But there was something that God wanted to do to them or something that God wanted to teach them that he sends the Apostle Paul or he tells the Apostle Paul, inspires the Apostle Paul to pray for them that they would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation. But don't they have the Holy Spirit? Of course they have the Holy Spirit. But don't we need more of God in every point of our life? Every day. We sang a song this morning that says we are filled up to be poured out, right? I, I shared that last week week as well. So it's, it's really important that we understand this idea that we're to be filled with the Spirit of God so that we can be poured out. And many of us need what Paul is talking about here in a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can understand what God is saying. So here's the twofold piece that you need to understand and take away from Paul. When he prays for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, he is not talking about a closet experience for you so that you can go, oh, I get it all now, and you make up your own revelation. That's not what it's all about. What God wants is for you to be given a spirit so that you can understand the things that have been taught to you in the gospel, the things that have been explained to you. He actually wants the Ephesian Christians to be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation, and he wants that spirit to enlighten them to what he goes on to teach them. 
So here, here's all that he wants them to know. That God, our Lord, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And he goes on to explain what that spirit of wisdom and revelation is. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. This is what it means to be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation. To have the eyes of your heart enlightened in three different areas. The first one, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What is the hope of his calling? We talked about it last week. Those whom God has called, he is also justified. And those whom he has justified, he's also glorified. Here's a really important thing. That you are not just saved from something, church. You are saved to something. You are not just saved from sin and death. You are not just slave from the bondage of slavery that you, you were under. You were saved to something. And that to something, as we talked last week, is justification and glorification. Just a second to think about how big this is. Justification goes this way, that, that you are able to boldly approach the throne of grace, that you have the right to do so. Isn't that a powerful truth? That I, I don't have to cower before God. I don't, have to, I don't have to worry about whether or not he loves me. It says that you can boldly approach the throne of grace. God doesn't just save you. He also justifies you so that when you walk through his gates, when you walk into his courts, not brashly, not arrogantly, not, not foolishly, right? But when you walk before him, he accepts you. You are justified in Christ. See, this is the hope of your calling. The calling might be that you're saved. But saved to what? Saved to what? The hope of your calling. He doesn't just call you, he justifies you. I, I gave you guys the example of the prodigal son story, right? When the prodigal son was far off and he returned to the father, the father could have said, sorry, you sinned, you're out of luck. Could the father have not said that? Of course he could have. He could have not been waiting on the porch. He could have just ignored his son. After all, the father's the one who said, my, my son was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. He could have just reasoned in his mind, he's lost and he's dead. But he doesn't. He's watching for the son. So the son returns in all of his sinful depravity, all of his brokenness, right? He runs back to the father, and what does the father do? He justifies him. He gives him a robe, sandals, and a ring. What is God thinking? It doesn't even make sense. Like, this is an image of God towards us. He doesn't just save us from something. He saves us to something. And that to something is justification. And then we go even further. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. He glorifies us? So think about the prodigal son story again. The son comes back. The father welcomes him, robes, sandals, and, and a ring. And then add to the top of that, he throws him a party. Now, I'm not trying to make some sort of strange spiritual, uh, you know, doctrine here, okay? But God lavishes his mercy on us, amen? This is what it says in Ephesians 1. It says that the grace of God has been lavished upon us. It's not just given. It's pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I don't, I don't think you guys are awake this morning. It's pressed down, shaken together, and running over. God's glory, God's love for us, God's affection, God's blessings to us are immense. And so this is a part of the hope of our calling that we learned last week. This is what Paul needs them to catch a spirit of wisdom and revelation regarding. He goes on and he says this. He says, I want you also to know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. This is the second piece that these Ephesian Christians needed to know. And I, I'll bet you that all of us in this room need to know these truths. We need the spirit of God to reveal to us, number one, what is the hope of our calling? Many of us just thought we were saved out of hell or something like this, or that our only future 
glory is some sort of heaven that we don't understand. As many theologians say, heaven is for real. It's just not the end of the world, guys. It is the glory of God that we get to uh, be in the presence of. It is amazing. There's, there's something about heaven that makes it amazing. There's something about what God is calling us to that makes it so glorious. And so Paul wants them to know the hope of their calling. Today he wants to teach us the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then next week, this is the third and final piece of it, he says, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? The surpassing greatness of God's power towards us who believe. Here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about inheritance. We're going to talk about that fancy word that, that the pro-presenter person is going to highlight in just a second. No, 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 they're going to go, oh, see, Ryan, Ryan could have done it. Ryan could have done it, but no, no. Anyway, <laughs> she's mad at me now. Anyway, so today, here's what we're going to talk about. See, see, it's Father's Day, and I just made my mom mad. I'll see you guys in heaven. <laughs> anyway, okay, so, so here's the deal. We're going to talk about inheritance, but I want to talk to you about inheritance in three different ways, okay? Three different ways. The first way is this. I want to talk to you about God's inheritance in us. Say that with me, church. God's inheritance in us. I know, this is crazy. Did you know that God receives an inheritance in us? It doesn't quite make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense. God, God uh, C.S. Lewis once said, he says, if he who lacks nothing chooses to need us, it is because we need to be needed. I love that phrase, right? Uh, the truth is that we are made an inheritance to God because God chooses that for whatever reason. So we're going to talk about God's inheritance in us and explain what that looks like because there's a really important nugget to that. Then we're going to talk about our inheritance in him. This is the one everybody's thinking here, right? He's our heavenly father. He's the one who's good to us. And he's the one who wants to give us good things. So we're going to talk about our inheritance in him. And that, that'll take up a lot of time. But then, at the end, I want you guys to catch this one. This is so important. The inheritance in the saints. This is what Paul prays for. I pray that God would give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you would know the hope of his calling and you would know the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints. It's pointing to what God gives us among his people. So, so stay tuned for this at the end because this is a really, really important component of all of this, okay? So... First things first, God's inheritance in us. Here's what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says. It says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. Wait a minute, Nathan. You just said it was us, like God's inheritance in us, not our inheritance in him. Yeah, this is a problem because, and I know you're going to be weirded out by this, every one of our Bibles is wrong. You're like, right, right, you're right, right. So we're going to trust Nathan over all of the foundations that create all of our scriptures. No, no, no. All of your Bibles do get this wrong, and all of your Bibles put a footnote in the Bible that tells what the literal meaning actually is. It's fascinating to me why they don't just correct it and leave it printed on the page. You see, see, what they write is in him we also have obtained an inheritance. But in the Greek, it's really important because understanding this matters according to Greek language, right? Put it back, please. In him, we have also, back one more, we have obtained. That word obtained, if it's done in the active sense, if that verb is in the active sense, it applies to the previous subject, we. But if that verb is written in the passive sense, which it is, it actually refers to the first subject in the Greek language. 
What's important about this is instead of the passage saying, in him we have obtained an inheritance, what it should say is this, in him also we have become an inheritance. In him, because the, the verb refers to God. In him, we have become an inheritance. We are the inheritance of God, church. This is a really staggering thing. It makes sense according to the context as well, because here's what Paul goes on to say. In him, we also have become an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Not only have we become an inheritance, he predestined us according to his purposes. Now, just in case you were lost on this, last week, what God has predestined us for is not some for salvation and some for damnation. The scripture makes it clear. Predestination is to be conformed into the image of his son, which is sanctification. So what this says is in him, in Christ Jesus, also we have become an inheritance to God. Now that's, that's staggering enough. In Christ Jesus, we have become an inheritance to God, having been, and here's how this all works, having been predestined according to his purpose, what was that purpose? To be conformed into the image of his son. Jesus does not save us and then leave us. He does not wash away our sins and say, go back and keep sinning. It's okay. He doesn't say that. Instead, he has called us to sanctification. He has called us to a life of holiness and righteousness and perfection, maturity, growing in him. Amen? So this is so important. In him, in Christ Jesus, we have become an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, which is to be sanctified, who works all things together or all things after the counsel of his will. That's the question we need to ask. What's the counsel of his will? What was God's plan? Turn with me in your Bibles all the way back to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. Here's what King David said. And this is a conversation between God, prophetically, between God and between Jesus. This is a powerful truth. Here's what he says in Psalm 2, verses 6 through 8. But as for me, this is God speaking, but as for me, I have installed my king. Who is God's king? Jesus Christ this is not David, okay? David's writing this, but God has installed his king. I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Who is the my in this? It's God, right? God keeps saying, I've installed my son. I've installed my king. Now Jesus begins to talk, and this is really cool. He says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. I will tell the decree of my father. He said to me, my father said to me, you are my son. We know this from the New Testament, don't we? You are my son in whom I am well pleased. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. So Jesus speaking, he says, he said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance. What is the predestined plan of God? To conform us into the image of his son. Amen? He wants us to look like Jesus. As a matter of fact, he said that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. That's why it's so important that we're sanctified and we're transformed over time. Why? Because we're brothers of Christ, sisters of Christ. That's quite a big standard. Anyway, so he tells us that he wants us to do this. What is his will, though, that we read in 
Ephesians 1.11. What's the will of God? The will of God is that whosoever Jesus wants, Jesus gets. Isn't that cool? Right? If you ask me for the nations, it's yours. That's the will of God. Whatever my son wants, that's what he gets. Whatever my son who is holy and righteous and good, whatever he wants, that's who he gets, okay? So I'll give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Now let's go back to the New Testament and remember what this says. In the Great Commission, Jesus commissions his followers to do what? To go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. What is the will of Jesus? Who does he want? That's a better question. Who does he want? All the nations. This is why the scripture says God wants that none should perish, but that all come to everlasting life. Listen, guys, God is most glorified in his love to the world. God is not most glorified in his judgment of the world, although he's right in doing so. Although he is to be gloried in because he is just, God is most glorified in his love. And what we see from the scripture is God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He sent his disciples out to go to the nations because his father promised it to him. Isn't that powerful? I love that reality. But listen, he doesn't stop there. Before the day of Pentecost, he sends his apostles and the 120. He sends them to the upper room in Jerusalem so that they will pray and that they will wait for what? Well, it's his purpose. It's his will. He wants them to wait for empowerment. But for what purpose? This is so good, right? He wants them to be empowered. He says, wait until you are endued with power from on high so that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And where does Jesus want to go? The ends of the earth. You see, Psalm 2 tells us that God has promised his son that he will have as an inheritance whatever he wants. And it's God who says, this is what I want. I want them. I want them. Now, I shared this with you last week, and it's going to trigger this again. It's really important for us to understand. God did not want us because we were somehow inherently worth it. I know I've heard this a thousand times. The cross does not communicate your value. Please stop believing this stuff. Here's why. The cross communicates the mercy of God, the grace of God. Remember what Romans 5 said? Romans 5 said that somebody would dare to die for a righteous man. Not many people dare to die, but they may for a good man. But Christ demonstrates his love for us in this. Remember what Paul is saying. You're not righteous. You're not good. Your inherent worth was sinner. You should have been judged. I should have been judged. That's the fact of it. You see, when we make the cross about us, it minimizes Jesus at every turn. It makes Jesus smaller and smaller because here's the deal. It also eliminates grace. It says, because I was so awesome, you, you must come for me. No, 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 no. You weren't righteous. You weren't good. God demonstrates his love for you in this. God demonstrates, here's the way to understand it, church. God demonstrates his character, because God is love, his character for you in this. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That's humbling to me, church. But here's what's good about that. It makes me glorify my heavenly father more, doesn't it? It makes me look to him and go, how is he so merciful to me? 
Why is he so merciful to me? And the answer is grace. The answer is because he is. That's who he is as a father. So Ephesians 1.11, you can go ahead and leave these up until I'm ready to move on. In him, this is the most important thing, back to Ephesians 1.11, in which it says we have become an inheritance. How do we become an inheritance, church? In him. Are you an inheritance in God or to God any other way? This is why we can't stress it enough, church, that there is one way to the Father. There is one way to salvation. There is one through whom all men can be saved. It is Jesus Christ. In him also we have become an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose to be conformed into the image of his Son, who works all things after the counsel of his will, and God's will is that all would come to know him. That to me is staggering. That to me is staggering. So right off the bat, here's what we have to understand. We are God's inheritance. God has an inheritance in you and in me, in Christ. Can you say that with me? God has an inheritance in you and me, in Christ. The pause is important, right? God has an inheritance in you and me, in Christ. That's how this works. Why? Because he wants many children. He loves his kids, and he promised his son the nations. So, The next piece is to ask this question, our inheritance in him. What does that look like? What does that look like? This is where it starts to get fun, and hopefully God will uh, do through me what I I have been sensing all week. So here's a powerful statement in him again, okay? Paul goes on two verses later, and he communicates our inheritance in God. He says, in him, you also, that's you and me, that's the Ephesian believers, after listening to the message of truth, The gospel of your salvation, having also believed, say this with me, church, this one line here, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. There's an order in what God says in his word. And here's the order, and it's important for you to understand it. In Christ Jesus, this is who we find our hope in, right? Or through Christ Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, what is the message of truth according to this? The gospel of our salvation. Once we heard the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and having also believed, what came next? You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Now here's what the view is. Here's what the future is. Here's what the inheritance truly is. The view to redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. But let me explain this to you. The order is so vitally important, church, that we understand that when we hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ and when we believe, we are given the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't believe that, we're actually not operating in true biblical faith. Let me explain it to you. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, right? Substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I say it all the time. Faith is not blind faith. Faith is not jump that the net will appear. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The ultimate hope is communicated right here, that we would have redemption of God's own possession. We would be redeemed as God's own possession to the praise of his glory, not to the credit of our worth, right? To the praise of his glory. This is really important. Guess how we have the substance of that which we hope for? Because I'm just going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you feel fully redeemed right now? We are fully redeemed in Jesus. 
That's absolutely true. But you're still broken, aren't you? You're still hurting. You're still not fully there. We're going to see this in another verse in just a second, that he talks about the glory that is waiting to be revealed, okay? So this is awesome. You know in faith that you're redeemed, but how do you know it? How do you know it? By the substance of your hope, the Holy Spirit of promise. If you do not have the Holy Spirit of promise, there was no pledge made to you, which means you have no confidence to stand before God. If the Spirit of God comes later, we have a problem. We have a serious problem, church. Guess why? Because you can't be confident. Because who was the pledge of your inheritance? The Spirit of God. It's not your opinion. It's not you just doing this. I really hope I'm saved. I really hope I'm saved. I really hope I'm saved. I'm glad Peter didn't try that when he was walking on the water, right? Right? There was an assurance of what took place. For us, here's the order. You listen to the message of truth, which is the gospel. And the moment you believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of your inheritance. The substance of things hoped for is this presence of the Spirit of God in your life because of the future glory you hope to receive. Guess what else is true? about faith, the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. What does the Spirit of God produce in your life? Fruit. Turn to somebody and say, we're fruity. No, don't do that. Anyway, okay. So, it's just, I don't want that on record at all, okay? Especially not with Ryan and Mark sitting next to each other. Anyway, so, okay. So, the idea here is, (laughs) don't you do that again. Anyway, okay. Substance of things hoped for. I'm about to twitch here. Anyway, okay. Substance of things hoped for. What's the hope? The glorious redemption of our, of our lives. What is the substance of that hope? The pledge that was given to us. He promises his spirit. What is the evidence of that which we do not see? The great by and by. Holiness in its perfect form. Everything working out for our good. What is the, what is the presence? What do we see? We see the fruit of the spirit and the gifts that God has given his church. That's how we know. That's how we know. Now, just a moment on fruit of the Spirit. Do you notice that the fruit of the Spirit is listed as a singular? And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. It is not to be understood as, well, if I'm a loving person, then maybe I'm displaying the fruit of God. No, maybe you're a loving person. That's pretty awesome. But the fruit, singular, has many aspects. And that means if you are operating in the fruit of the Spirit, all of those things will be present in your life. Not just one. So it kind of hurts us as Christians, doesn't it? (laughs) Because here's what happens. We go, I'm loving. I'm just impatient with everyone. Well, we have a problem. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. That, that, you may be in sanctification mode, right? You may be learning this uh, concept in your life. But listen, all of the fruit of the Spirit are present. All of that is present inside of our life when we have the Spirit of God. And then some, Paul goes four, three chapters later, he goes and says to the same people, he says, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he sent, uh, he poured out his spirit on men, he sent gifts to men, and some he made apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and all these things, right? The gifts of God's spirit also prove that that pledge is there in you. Did you know that? That is what you need to be looking for. So all the days of your life, you don't need to have some sort of blind faith or some cross your fingers and hope to go to heaven kind of belief system. What you need to know is that when you heard the message of truth, 
the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were filled with the spirit of God of promise who was given as a pledge of your inheritance. Listen to me clearly, church. If you don't have the spirit or if we don't have the spirit at our conversion, then we don't have real biblical faith. There's no substance to our hope. There's no evidence to what we believe. We're just hoping that we don't go to hell. Well, that's not fun, is it? That's not fun. So he goes on right on this passage. He says, Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. What did God do? He redeemed us, church. He redeemed us through his precious blood. But who gets the glory for it, church? I'm, I'm going to wait until you guys want to really play with me. Who gets the glory? Hold on. I don't think you guys were really on it there. Let's work together. Who gets the glory? He does. God does. Let's all say God does just so we can agree with each other. You guys are a bunch of stubborn people. Who gets the glory? That's awesome. That's awesome. God gets the glory. How does God get the glory? Through the redemption of God's own possession. But don't forget this peace, church. If it's not in him, it doesn't happen. There's no other way by which men can be saved. So let's go on to the next passage here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We talked about what it is, uh, is our inheritance, what our inheritance is in God. But let's look at the, the qualities of this inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, say it with me, church, according to his great mercy, not your worth, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's what he goes on to say. It's so powerful. He says, to obtain an inheritance, which is, you heard the inheritance, redemption, Full redemption, awesome redemption. You're about to see that it is not fully here, but it's okay. We, we do believe it. To obtain an inheritance, which is, number one, say this with me, church, imperishable. That's a fun one. Imperishable. It's not like, okay, the fruit that we buy for our daughters, if it sits too long, it goes bye-bye, doesn't it, right? And we have this really serious problem where these gnats, anybody else having a gnat problem this year? Like, what, like, I'm telling you, it's like biblical proportions of a plague. I don't know what's really happening. We're just, we actually have two fly swatters and we commissioned all the girls to be at war. So we're like, kill them, kill them. They're like, I thought you told us not to kill. Flies are a different story. So anyway, you can kill flies and bugs, okay? Spiders especially. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. The very inheritance that you have of which the pledge is the Holy Spirit is imperishable church. It is imperishable. You're going to see how it's imperishable here in a second. He goes on. He says this, and say it with me, undefiled. It's undefiled. Listen, moth and rust in heaven do not destroy. They are, there's nothing that is picking away at your inheritance. The devil is not creeping in and stealing. He is not able to take it for his own. God is not producing a bait and switch on you. He didn't promise you something. You get to heaven and go, ha ha, sorry, now you just got to sing this song all the rest of your eternity. He's not doing that. It's not a bait and switch. He's promised that our inheritance, the redemption of our body is undefiled. He goes on. He says this. He says, and... Say it with me, will not fade away, will not fade away. The paint doesn't chip on this model. Just throwing that out there, right? It doesn't fade away. So then he ends with this. He says, reserved in heaven for you. Where's our inheritance right now? Yes, but don't we have it? Of course we do. 
This is the amazing thing about the kingdom of God. It's reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God, this is next week, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Church, how is your inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade? How is it? Hint. How is it? Through faith. Through faith. Through faith. What is biblical faith? Biblical faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The substance is the promised Holy Spirit that was given to you when you believed. And the evidence is the fruit that he produces in your life and the gifts that he has given to his entire body. Amen? Like that's big stuff, okay? Big, big, big stuff. So to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Look at what the writer to Hebrews says. Hebrews 9, 15. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the, say it with me, church, eternal inheritance. How long does this inheritance last? It's eternal. How does it come? Through faith. What is faith? Assurance and evidence. Assurance, having the spirit of God of promise and evidenced by his fruit and his gifts inside of our life. So the next passage goes like this. For we are his workmanship. This is another evidence, I believe, of our uh, inheritance or what our inheritance leads to. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Again, church, you were not saved from something only. You were saved to something. What is your inheritance? Good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. This is why the scripture elsewhere says things like this, Ephesians, uh, Ephesians or Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Why? Because God called you to good works, and he called you to something more than yourself. And he called you to that to the praise of his glory, because you're walking in a redemption that you didn't buy, you didn't make, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In Ephesians, he goes and he says this, For one, therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You're supposed to walk in this glory. Scripture goes on to say this, Ephesians 5, 5. For this you know with certainty. Can you say that with me, church? For this you know with certainty. Let's personalize it. Let's say this. For this I know with certainty. Say it with me. For this I know with certainty. Because you need to know this with certainty. You need to know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. That no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. Our inheritance is the redemption of our body, isn't it? Isn't it an amazing thing? This full redemption that God has, has planned for us. So we have this full redemption. How do we have this redemption? We have it by faith. Faith is substance and evidence. That is the evidence of the Spirit of God in your, or the substance of the Spirit, the promise in your life, the evidence of that Spirit through the fruit and through the giftings that He has given you. You, you guys are catching my, my trend here, the whole thing. It also leads to good works, which God planned before hand for us to do, which is why we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We live for him all the days of our life. We walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we are called. And then we know for certainty this one truth, that those who don't have no inheritance. They have no inheritance. That's staggering, church. That should cause us to want to go to the world because we know that they have nothing if it is not for Jesus. But it should also humble us as Christians to walk in that manner worthy of our calling. 
because those who practice those things don't have an inheritance. And we're supposed to be the people God has called us to be. Amen? Look at what Jeremiah says. This is, this is fun. Jeremiah 3.19. Then I said, how I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance. Not just any inheritance. The most beautiful inheritance of the nations. And I said, you shall call me my father and not turn away from following me. You know what the New Testament tells us? It says when we have the Spirit of God, it is by that Spirit we're able to cry, Abba, Father. Listen, <laughs> listen. If the redemption of your life didn't come because you heard the message of truth and you believed it with your heart and the presence of the Spirit came into your life when you believed, you don't have that pledge. If that doesn't happen, you can't have biblical faith because there's no substance and there's no evidence. But when there is substance that the Spirit of God has dwelt inside of you because the Word of God said so, and when you have evidence through the fruit of your life and through the Spirit of God as He gifts you for all these things, when that's true, here's what's amazing. You have a promise of the most beautiful inheritance. And by that spirit, every day of your life, you get to cry, Abba, Father. You don't have to wait for Jesus to cry, Abba, Father. He actually said, I want that you would pray to the Father. You say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You are the one who prays for his kingdom to come. You're the one who gets to cry out to Abba, Father. Why? Who is in you that makes you able to do it, church? The Holy Spirit of promise. It's the only way the only way. So you get to cry out just like I do, just like Jesus did, Abba, Father, and you will not turn away and not turn away from following him. Those who see God for the Father he is and they glory in him because he is merciful, because he is loving, because he is gracious, we will follow him all the days of our life. Amen? There's no point. There's nobody. I love Peter's statement, right? Where else am I supposed to turn? Where else am I going to go? I, I, got, I got nothing. I got nothing. Right? This is the point. When you understand this, you realize, apart from Jesus, we ain't got nothing. So, so big. So, last but not least, we're going to talk about the inheritance in the saints. Ephesians chapter 1. Turn with me there. I'll make this as quick as possible. Which means, according to Bettina Clust, you have 30 minutes left in the sermon. I'll pray for you. <laughs> what the content of that prayer is. Anyway, okay, so let's get back onto this because I'll just get off on something fun. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 1. Here, here's, what, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, For this reason too, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you. This is verse 15. And your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you. Paul is always thanking God for these people. He says, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Here's what that is. That the prayer, uh, that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you will know Here's the threefold. What is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what are the surpassing greatness? What is the surpassing greatness of, the, of his power towards us who believe? These are, meaning those three things, those things that God is doing, are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might 
which he brought about in Christ because our salvation is Christ alone, not us. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his, Christ Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. But here's where you come in, church. Here's where the glorious saints come in. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Say, I am the fullness of God. When his spirit dwells in us. In his body, which is the fullness of him, Christ Jesus, who fills all in all. Or a way that we might read that is to the fullness of God the Father. Skip down in chapter 2 to verse 11. So he speaks to the Ephesians again. And he says, they're Gentile believers. He says, therefore remember that formerly you Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was the state of every other person who was not a Jew. Without God in the world. That's breathtaking. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, there it is again, church, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, that's Gentile, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in the flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man. Who is that new man? Christ Jesus. Thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death that, that very enmity. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, us Jews. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, this is the beauty of the inheritance in the saints, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens of or with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Say this with me. We are a holy temple in the Lord. We are a holy temple in the Lord. There is the inheritance among the saints. You are not a temple apart from his people. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now, let's just hammer it home because this is just a beautiful thing. Chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the works of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine, but or by the trickery of men, by craftiness and de deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, 
We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by, read this with me, church, what every joint supplies, that's you, just so you know, according to the proper working of, read it with me, church, each individual part, that's you, church, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The inheritance that you have in the saints, listen, the inheritance that you have in the saints is that apart from the saints, you can't grow up in love. You can't. We need one another, church. There is no call in the Bible for Lone Ranger Christianity. There is no call for Lone Ranger Christianity. God has called us to an inheritance in the saints, and that inheritance is the building up of the body of Christ fit for him, fit for glory in him through one another in love. Guys, we need each other. We have no other option. Listen, the world grows darker, right? How many of you know the world grows darker? Isn't this a fun paradox? The world grows darker, and yet God says to pray that the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you know that we're not going to pray a new heaven and a new earth, but God's going to destroy this and make a new heaven and a new earth? But there are heavenly things for now, and that is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and the beautiful building up of the body together. Do you know that God wants that for us? So while the world grows darker, what do we pray? We pray, in him, bring the kingdom. What do we pray? We pray that we would build each other up in love. What are we doing, church? We're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be living. We're supposed to be alive. Guess what? That's your inheritance in the saints. So here's what I want you to say, and I just want to hear this. I want to hear you say, we need you, Nathan. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so sorry, sorry, I just, I had to do that. I was trying to, I was trying to draw on those big name pastors. Anyway, anyway, whatever, listen, here's what we say. We need each other. We need each other. We need each other. Guys, here's what we covered today. First up, we have the inheritance or God's inheritance in us. Put that up there on the screen, guys. God's inheritance in us. What's God's inheritance in us? That in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, he is got a family. He's got the nations because he wanted us. That's fantastic. We have no idea why he wanted us. I mean, have you looked at yourself in the mirror? Not some of you, but anyway, (laughs) right? It's like, it's kind of scary. Guess what? You don't have to study the mirror. God's mercy loved you. That's his character. Please, please, please understand this. It's not you. Woo! Right? It's his glory. It's his mercy, right? God's inheritance in us staggering because he wanted the saints he wanted the nations the second thing we talked about our inheritance in him what is it full redemption how does that come through faith how do we know we have biblical faith we have substance and evidence what's the substance the spirit of God comes when we believe what's the evidence the fruit of the spirit and the gifts that he gives And boy, oh boy, he ain't even scratched the surface on what he wants to do through his people. But the point is, is that he's got gifts. Our inheritance in him, big time stuff, church. And it's that now and not yet component of the kingdom, isn't it? I know that I'm redeemed, and yet in the morning I know that I'm not fully redeemed yet, right? Because my knees hurt. Any, Any amens on that one? Anyway, okay, our inheritance in him, the inheritance in the saints. Just say this with me. We need each other. We need each other. That's the truth, church. 
That's the truth. Guys, God is doing some great things. And guess what happened today? Just so that you guys can kind of like, kind of settle down on the looking for some ooey-gooey experience. God's spirit revealed to us through wisdom and knowledge, or through wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him. He just showed us all of these things. And guess where we found them? In the same inspired word that his spirit gave to us. It's fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me. We don't have to freak out, guys. We don't have to wonder if God's speaking. He just said a whole bunch of stuff to us. And it is powerful, amen? Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.